Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. We're very glad you're with us. Uh, as we continue on in a series we're doing called Living Invitations. And, you know, at the heart of this series, it's uh, our desire to live lives in such a way that, that people are ultimately attracted into the kingdom of God, that we're, you know, we're salt, we're light, and we're, we're um, witnesses, we're, we're living inviters, helping people be rescued from darkness and brought into light. And, uh, and so we're doing a little sub-series in there that, that as part of being a living invitation, we are called to um, be aware of the spiritual battle that's going on around us and that we have a very real enemy who's trying to keep people blinded to the truth. And so God has uh, given us armor, spiritual armor, that we're to put on and uh, embrace this battle head on, not only for ourselves, but for our neighbors, who, who we define as anybody who needs the mercy of God. So we're, we're looking at what this looks like, and uh, you know, we talked about the belt of truth last week, the importance of being people of integrity. This week, we're going to be talking about the breastplate of righteousness. And I, I want to encourage you again that you make as part of your daily routine an actual time where you take, it doesn't take a long time, where you, you pray through actually putting the armor of God on us in Ephesians 6 that we'll read about in just a moment. And, and it's something that I do every day, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of the faith, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation. And that there's something about um, praying those, uh, those pieces of armor on and knowing as you pray them on, don't do it by rote, but kind of think about what they represent. The belt of truth, it means I need to be a person of integrity because it impacts the world around me for him. Um, the breastplate of righteousness, where we're going to talk about today, and, and why it's so important, and what it means when we pray it on. So we'll get into that. That's the intro. Transition, always a bad joke or two. What's the difference between a mosquito and a fly? You, you can't sew a zipper on a mosquito. <laughs> I, I thought that was awesome. Not bad, right? This is, this is for the younger, maybe, maybe. Why did Thor only invite his brother to his party? He, he wanted to keep it low-key. You got to be a Marvel person to get that. Loki is Thor's brother. <sighs> okay. There'll be a certain group that appeals to, though. But the rest of you are going to like this one, or you'll hate this one. Have you ever heard of Murphy's Law? It states that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Have you ever heard of Cole's Law? It's just thinly sliced cabbage. <laughs> Coleslaw. Oh, sure. See, there you go. Uh -huh. Scripture reading here on purpose, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Blessed be the word of the Lord. I want to continue our discussion on the armor by talking about point one number your notes. Point number one in your notes, the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 6, 14 again. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So the breastplate, now remember when, when Paul is, is sort of writing this, he's thinking about the armor that a Roman soldier would wear. And uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate covered the body of the soldier from the neck down to the thighs. So it was a, it was a, you know, it was a big garment, and and uh, it was usually made of some sort of a, you know metal, something that would keep them safe. And uh, in effect, it was to protect the heart. Uh, it 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 covered the heart uh, of the person, and and the, you know the 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 stomach area as well, but primarily the heart. And um, the righteousness of God will keep our hearts soft. Self-righteousness will make us hard-hearted. His righteousness will help us to be more selfless. Self-righteousness will make us more selfish. And, and so when we talk about righteousness, that becomes the big discussion. We're talking about the difference between His righteousness and self-righteousness. And, and that's where this whole sort of thing comes down. What we're putting on in the breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of God, not our own self-righteousness, which too many people dress in, but His righteousness. And, and His righteousness, uh, one of the great ways to think about this, and we're just talking to some friends with this about this week, it's, is relational. And you need to understand that. It's about your relationship with Him, and it's about your relationship with others. And that's always a big part of this whole process. So let's talk about the difference a little bit. Point number two, let's talk about His righteousness versus self-righteousness. And there's a great parable, and I've been thinking about this parable all week, that I think really makes this whole thing come to life. And, uh, and, and Jesus was teaching, and this is what He came up with. Verse 9 and following of Luke 18. To some who were confident in their own or of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is quite a parable. And uh, when I read that parable, I often think when that guy's praying and he goes, I'm glad I'm not like all these people, and especially like this tax collector. And, I, you know, you wonder if the tax collector was like, I can hear you. <laughs> that's, that's always my thought. Dude, I can hear. I'm right here. <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the amazing difference between the two. Now, remember, you, you have a Pharisee who um, the Pharisees sort of represented the established religious community, and they had lost their way on their journey, and they were just hard-hearted rule followers that weren't helping anybody come to know God. Um, 
that's one side of the parable. The tax collectors were hated by the Pharisees, and they were outcast by the entire community. Um, the people didn't like tax collectors because tax collectors were considered the enemy because they worked for the Romans. And, you know, you, I know I've set this up for you before, but the reason they were so hated was the Romans, when they occupied a territory, would leave a puppet government in place um, of the people that they occupied, so they'd have a government there, and they would take their soldiers and they would house them there, Roman soldiers, and, and they could say, we're going to keep you safe from everybody else, no one's going to attack you again, but they would also be the, in, in charge. And um, the, the Roman government would hire... Um, tax collectors from the people they oppressed. And in fact, these tax collectors actually bid for the opportunity to have this job, and the Romans would take the highest bidders, and then the tax collectors would go out and collect those taxes plus money for themselves. So they were hated by the entire community. They were hated, and these are the people that Jesus l uses in this parable. So understand that's what's going on. Here you have the, the sort of religious leader praying, and, and, and then you have the, the person that's sort of outcast on the outside praying in a completely different way. So that's the story. So the self-righteous person here, the, the Pharisee, um, and self-righteousness is interesting. It's usually displayed in, in one of two ways. Um, it usually comes off in arrogance or performance. Uh, in, in, in arrogance is, is, a, is this sort of thought that a person has that somehow they're, they're good enough. Um, like, you know what, I'm a, I'm a good person, I've looked around at the people around me, and I believe that I'm not as bad as most of them, so therefore I must be good. And uh, they sort of get settled in that whole process. They do a lot of comparison with other folks, and ultimately, as long as they can find somebody who they're doing better than, they feel pretty good about themselves, and so they think everything is okay. And it doesn't really take long to find somebody that you're doing better than uh, in the whole process. The problem is... Just for comparison's sake, if you ever feel the need to compare yourself, you're allowed one comparison, and that's Jesus. And that will take you right out of self-righteousness almost immediately. Go ahead. If you think you're close, you're not. So, so there's that sort of self-righteous thing that gets people in, in sort of caught. And the other one is performance-based. A lot of self-righteousness is performance-based, and performance is like working hard at all the rules and thereby thinking, you know, I'm such a good rule follower that I'm okay with God. And everyone who doesn't follow the rules as good as I do is in trouble. Both these extremes lead to a hard-heartedness and a closed-off sort of situation that, that doesn't work. And in fact, in the parable, it says that people who trust in their own righteousness, self-righteousness, look down on everybody else. It says it right in the beginning of the parable. I've read that parable. I have never took it in that way. That, that's what they do. They look down on everybody else. And, and um, the word in the Greek that, where that comes from is actually means they count them as nothing. They just don't matter. And when you read the parable, you can see that guy who was supposed to be the religious leader didn't care about this other guy's situation at all. In fact, he said, I'm just glad I'm not like him. Didn't care about him even a little bit. But where this gets fascinating is that the parable, in the parable, Jesus says the man who was justified was not the religious leader but the tax collector. And whenever you get that word justified, remember what it means, all right? Justification is an amazing thing, and, and it, just as if we'd never sinned. That's the whole process, and I tell you that we get that when, when we come to know Jesus, we're justified, and that's the first part of, of salvation. 
And so we're justified, we're being sanctified, we will be glorified, but we're justified. And this justification is one of the most amazing things that there is because what it means is that God chooses to see us in the perfection of His Son. And it was this tax collector, this, the sinner, who received this because he acknowledged his sinfulness and unworthiness and he cries for God to have mercy. That's the, the, at the heart of what salvation looks like. That's what we do when we come to Christ. We acknowledge that we're sinners and that we're not worthy in our own strength. We're not good enough. We can't follow the rules well enough. And we, we ultimately cry out to God for His mercy. So, so the justified person now, um, make sure the justified person is not righteous, but he's counted righteous by God. That's the big difference. So, so we we're able to put on His righteousness not from ourselves, but because of what He's doing in us and what he's done for us in the process. And it means that we've genuinely cried out for um, mercy and, and we've, we've given our lives to God and we're, we're trying to live for him um, by doing the next right thing. And, and so, so God sort of takes this guy's cry uh, out for repentance and mercy and counts it to him as righteousness. And, and so because his heart was set upon God, um, his, his connection is true. So um, one of the things I think that's very helpful in this is we start trying to figure out when we're really sort of living in self-righteousness ourselves, which is our tendency to get there, is, is the, here's the thing. Um, you're, you're being self-righteous when you, when you tend to judge other people by their actions and yourself by your intentions. That's self-righteousness. When you're judging other people by their actions and yourself by your intentions. And if you can flip that around, you can make a huge difference in the world around us. You judge other people by their intentions, that means you're giving them the break. And you, then you deal with what you're doing with your own actions and what you need to get straightened up with. So, so that's a huge deal about what this whole thing looks like in life. So, so thirdly, then how do we do it? How do we live in His righteousness? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And, and righteousness, uh, one way to define it would be being right with God. And, and so that's what it looks like, that we've, we've cried out for repentance. You know, we've, we've come to him. We've, we, we know that we need his mercy. And we've been reconciled to him. He's choosing to see us in the perfection of his son because we're, we're justified in that process. We haven't earned it. We weren't, we, we weren't you know, worthy of it in our own strength. But, but it's something that we have because of what Jesus has done and our cry out for that. And so we're made right with him. And then we're to live that out in the world around us. And so we, we get right with him as we come to know Christ. And then as the spirit uh, you know, lives in us now, now we're trying to live by doing the next right thing to do what's right. And, and that's what His righteousness looks like. We're not perfect, and so therefore we don't need to run around pointing fingers of judgment. And I, I want to look at an encounter Jesus has to kind of, it's a, it's a great encounter, I think, and there'd be a lot of them, but it's one about what His righteousness looks like compared to how many of us would have approached this situation. This story's in John chapter 4. Uh, I'm just going to read verses 7 through 10, although the, the encounter takes pretty much all of John chapter 4, but let's read these verses. When a Samaritan woman came out to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? 
His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So, so Jesus says, if you, if you only knew the gift of God, living water, eternal life, grace, and that all you need to do is ask him for it and he'll give it. And, and Jesus is, is just sort of quickly telling the, this woman um, that, that, that God's dealings with humanity are on the basis of grace. Our, our relationship with God, it's not about what we do, but about what God is willing to do for us. And this is huge when you, when you understand the entire dynamic of the situation. Uh, first off, it says there that she was even surprised that Jesus would talk to her. Culturally, A... Um, um, men didn't usually talk to women that, that they didn't know. That would have been a cultural no-no. Secondly, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't talk uh, to one another. They didn't, uh, the, the Samaritans weren't liked by the Jewish people because they were sort of a, a mixture of, uh, from one of the previous exiles. That's a long story too, but they, they didn't like them at all, so they avoided them. So for Jesus to be talking to this woman was pretty interesting just by itself. She also has a number of issues, like all of us. She's a great representative of all of us. Um, she is outcast by her own community. And you say, how do you know that? Well, she's out drawing water at the well by herself. Um, it was that the water sort of drawing would have been something that the women did as a community for safety, and it was social. It was a big social event. They would have all gone together. And she wasn't included in that mix. And we find out it's because she has a reputation. Uh, of you know, a certain reputation. And, and, um, and so she would really have been pretty easy to dismiss or condemn by the religious self-righteous. But Jesus doesn't. He just hangs out there and he talks to her. And he ultimately extends the kingdom of God to her and he welcomes her in. And he, he doesn't, he says, you know what? God's looking for worshipers just like you. It's amazing to me how he how he does that, and he always did that. When he, when he looked at sinners, when he looked at all of us, he always saw past their sin and saw the beauty of their potential. And, and he never condoned sin. He never said it's not a big deal. He just never let it be the focus. He, he wouldn't label people by their sin. And, and that's what his righteousness looks like. It's, a, it's more about relationship. He was more concerned about this woman's relationship with God than he was about the, the, the mess going on in her life. We're all broken that way. We don't need to. It doesn't need to be our focus. And, and so Jesus could do this because he exemplifies a grace-filled life. He, Jesus loved people, and, and people knew it. They could sense it when he was around. When, when people were around Jesus, they actually wanted to change. See, that's what his righteousness does. There's something about it that makes people like want to change and not continue to live um, the way they were living. They wanted to live lives to please him. And, and, and so they responded to his amazing love, which is what righteousness looks like. True righteousness is displayed in love. It doesn't take sin lightly. I want to make sure you hear me say that. But understands that people are only ever really healed from their brokenness when they engage in relationship with Jesus. That's the only hope they have. And so if you just write them off and judge them and label them, you're not making the way for them to be healed, which is to come in. The only way that we're healed from our brokenness is in relationship with Christ. 
And, and the Samaritan woman, fascinating, actually leaves that encounter with Jesus and starts a little revival. Because she goes and starts telling Papaji, and they all want to know Jesus. So God can use, it's amazing how God uses everyone. So what we need to remember, fourth, is that we all desperately need the grace of God. It's by His grace that we're able to have relationship with Him at all. Not by anything we've done. Not because we're performing well, but because of His grace. Galatians 2.21, Paul said, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If I could have got it by following the rules, but you couldn't, only through Christ. And so, um, if we don't understand and keep ourselves aware of our own constant need for grace, we will become self-righteous and judgmental and we'll stop caring about people, which was the hallmark of the Pharisees. So we, we can't. We, we, we've got to make sure we don't look down on others. While they, they may be sinners, um, we're all part of that club. They're certainly not beyond God's forgiveness. And so we, we actually stand against the enemy's schemes in this on behalf of our neighbors by becoming the righteousness of God, understanding our own desperate need for grace, and loving others with his extravagant love. And, and that's the way that they come into relationship with Jesus where they can be healed. So think about that now that you, when you pray on that righteousness, and I know that's a bunch, but that's what you're praying on. Lord, I want to I walk in your righteousness. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to live for you and make a difference in the world around me. And we'll pick up the rest of the armor again as we start next week. If you're watching my video or on Facebook Live or wherever you might be, thanks for watching. We'd love for you to come and visit when you get a chance. Come and see us. And uh, if you need prayer, go to our website. There's a prayer page there. Put in your request, uh, your request, and we'll pray for you. Hope to see you soon. God bless.